Well, that's what we want to do this morning is invite you into singing the praises of our glorious God. Martin Lloyd-Jones was probably one of the greatest English-speaking preachers of the 20th century, and 20 of his sermons were compiled into what has now become a classic. It's actually over in the book nook down the hallway there called Spiritual Depression. And about the passage that I'm getting ready to read to you from Philippians chapter 4, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, this text is undoubtedly one of the noblest, greatest, and most comforting statements which is to be found anywhere in any extant literature. There is nothing of greater comfort for God's people. How's that for an introduction? Paul was writing to a group of believers in Christ who were particularly dear to him. He held them in his heart. He yearned for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. These Christians in Philippi were under pressure. They were suffering persecution. They were plagued by false teachers who were distorting and eroding the apostolic gospel of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. They were tempted to selfishness and self-indulgence. There was tension in this body of believers. Some relationships were strained to the breaking point. There was anxiety, severe illness. Paul himself, who was in prison when he first met him, was yet in prison again. And of course, then there was financial need. And Paul gives them a series of exhortations in various ways to live grounded in the gospel and centered on Jesus Christ, all in an atmosphere of great joy. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4 and take a look at this magnificent text. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The grass withers And the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Christmas is a time of joy. God's angel brought the shepherds good tidings of great joy. When the star led the wise men to the newborn king, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. It's the happiest time of the year. We spiff our children up in festive clothes. We take pictures. We decorate our mantles and trees 
We listen to Christmas music. We go to parties and programs. We watch Elf and It's a Wonderful Life. We bake cookies and give gifts. Families flock for feasting and eggnog. But Christmas joy can be fragile as an heirloom ornament and disappear as fast as a Saddle Creek parking place. (laughs) We want to have ourselves a merry little Christmas and keep all our troubles out of sight, but the Grinch keeps stealing our joy. The White Witch makes sure it's always winter, never Christmas. In the 17th century, Blaise Pascal said, everyone wants to be happy, but no one stays happy. He talked about an infinite abyss within us that can only be filled by an infinite object that will never leave or change. That is to say, only by God himself. The infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite object that will never change, which is to say, only by God Himself. This infinite abyss, this hunger for happiness, this thirst for pleasure, is what Mick Jagger was singing about when he said, I try and I try and I try, but I I can't get no satisfaction. It's what Bono sang about when he says, I've done everything and been everywhere, but I still haven't found what I'm searching for. It's what John Mayer was asking when he sings, am I living it right? This infinite abyss, this yearning for satisfaction, this abyss threatens our fragile and fleeting Christmas joy. This past summer, I think it was July, a friend of mine was leading a group of students up Mount Rainier, and they were almost to the top on the summit dome, and it was the middle of the night. He's leading the rope team, and they came up behind a slower rope team, and so he got off the boot pack to go around this other slower team, and he said all of a sudden the floor opened up underneath him, and he fell into a 40-foot crevasse. It took him about an hour to get him out. Life can be like this. We're minding our own business when all of a sudden the floor opens up. Our Christmas joy disappears and we're falling. Christmas joy and the infinite abyss. Maybe you can relate to our grandson last Christmas. We had driven 10 hours one way to Des Moines with a van packed full of food and Christmas presents. And the big day had come, and the little one was watching the older brother open yet another really cool present. Then it was his turn. All eyes are on him. We all watched as he opened his gift. He realized what it was. He looked again at his brother's pile of really cool stuff, and his countenance, head, and shoulders sank like a battleship at Pearl Harbor. He flopped the gift on the coffee table uttered a two-year-old oath, and walked away. (laughs) Bewitched, (coughs) grinched, scrooged, engulfed immediately in the infinite abyss. We all have our own experiences of feeling our fragile joy fall away into that hole. Grace Van member recently posted on Facebook urging her friends to remember that, quote, not everyone is surrounded by large, wonderful families, 
Some of us are overcome with great sadness, loneliness, family problems, health struggles, job issues, worries. Nobody is immune. Several people responded, including a friend who said, I felt like I'm free-falling at holidays. Christmas is emotionally hard. Maybe you saw the GOL post that Donna Pierce recently posted about grief at Christmas, where not everything is all happy and bright. But the grand uh, Pumbaa of, of all of these expressions, maybe you've heard the name Rick Warren. Rick Warren wrote the book Purpose Driven Church. He pastors a church out in California, Purpose Driven Life. He's married to Kay. Their son, a year and a half ago, died violently. And she wrote this long post on Facebook about the unintended consequences of this avalanche of Christmas greeting cards and family letters wishing them on the cover a joyous Christmas with intact family photographs and short little notes like, have a great Christmas. She said, quote, it was like scraping a raw open wound. She, she went on eloquently to express the fact that not everybody has joy at Christmas, and this joy is fickle and fragile and fleeting. But the thing that impressed me about this post was that 7,000 people liked it, and 3,000 people shared it, and 1,500 people responded to say, yeah, I know what you're talking about, and maybe some of you do here this morning. Lloyd-Jones in that book, Spiritual Depression, said most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. So let's spend some time talking to ourselves this morning about Christmas joy while we inch our way across the infinite abyss. Deal? Well, what shall we tell ourselves? Let's tell ourselves what the Apostle Paul told the Philippians, tell yourself 10 simple yet potent words to remind yourself that this infinite joy-killing, pleasure-seeking, idol-making abyss can only be filled by an infinite object that will never change, that is to say, by God himself. Tell yourself this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Tell yourself that. Let's just take five of those words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let's take those five words, those three components, and think about them this morning. They're very simple. They do offer tidings of comfort and joy as we find ourselves at the edge of the infinite abyss. So the first component of the three this morning is, first of all, to rejoice. Joy is a reality for the believer in Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis wrote to a friend and, and said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Paul to the Romans said in verse, uh, chapter 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is a matter of joy in the Holy Spirit. The Christian faith, as a matter of fact, involves joy in Christ 
as much as it does justification in Christ. It's a statistical fact in the New Testament that Paul was as much an apostle of joy as he was an apostle of grace. And as a matter of fact, the, the word joy and grace both come from a common root word. Forty percent of the references to joy in the New Testament, 131 of 326, are found in Paul's letters. Fifty-eight percent of the references to grace, 88 of 153, fifty-eight percent of the references to grace are used by Paul. So Paul actually talked about joy 131 times and about grace 88 times. He was an apostle of joy. It's a reality. He says rejoice, rejoice, delight in, not just say, yes, I'm a Christian. Not just, yes, I have my theological ducks in a row all in my mind or all on my bookshelf. No, he says rejoice or delight, love him with all of your heart. So joy is a reality. Is it a reality to you this morning? Joy is also a reaction. It's a response to love and reconciliation. You remember the, the story Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 about the people that had lost stuff? The woman lost a coin and the shepherd lost a sheep and the father of the prodigal son. Well, do you remember that there is joy in heaven? That's kind of the refrain of the story. There's joy in heaven. Why? When sinners repent. Joy is a response to the repentance of those sinners. When that prodigal, when that self-righteous, rule-keeping older brother, when and if they would come to their senses, it brings joy. Joy is a reaction and a response to knowing that we're loved, to knowing that God rejoices over His people. He sings over them, according to Zephaniah. Paul to Philemon says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Joy is a reaction and a response. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. These three inner virtues, love and joy and peace, joy comes right after love, maybe as a response, as the Holy Spirit bears witness in our hearts that we're beloved of God. He loves us more than Paul loved the Philippians. And as a result of this love, we find this joy. He loves me? Me? Lord, I think we both know what we're dealing with here. And He loves us. Joy is a reaction. And again, joy is a requirement. This is not a request. This is not a suggestion. This is not a technique for happiness that Paul is giving the Philippians. He's giving them a command. It's an apostolic order. Rejoice. Imperative mood. Paul rejoiced in the Lord. He told the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. So there's a question to be asked here. Will you choose to obey? Will you commit yourself? Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what your circumstances are, regardless of how well your parents or your kids are doing, will you choose to rejoice? Our daughter-in-law and son uh, may still be, as far as I know, uh, in Argentina, and they live in California. They work in Yosemite National Park, one of the most beautiful places in the world, and they were just 
couldn't wait to go to Argentina to go to Patagonia to see these iconic granite peaks. And Sarah, our daughter-in-law, posts on Instagram, I will never forget the awe I experienced driving into El Chaltén tonight. It's a city right at the base of these peaks. Maybe you've seen it. I've seen pictures of it. She says, I expected to love Patagonia, but didn't realize I could be so impressed by it. I experienced glee and wonder. And for all of this, I am grateful. Have you felt joy like that? Paul experienced joy like that and wants us to experience it too. You've had joy in your children. Did you know that was my daughter that just sang up there? It brings us joy. Our grandkids, maybe our dogs, or even our cats. I don't uh, where was I? Yes, a perfect day at the beach or the mountains, uh, sunshine after a spell of cloudy weather, a drink of cold water, a song, seeing a big buck or a bobcat. But ultimate joy that cannot be consumed by the Grinches of our lives or when we fall into these infinite, whatever the plural of abyss is, abyss, I don't know, can only come, can only come, infinite joy can only come through an infinite, immovable, immutable, never leaving, never changing person, which is to say God himself, which is to bring us to this second component that Paul gives these, these 10 words, this second phrase that he gives us. It's not only to rejoice, do you see it in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4? The three words, rejoice in the Lord. Joy is not only a reaction and a requirement and a reality, but it comes in relationship to God. Alec Matir, in his little commentary on Philippians, said, The command, rejoice in the Lord, means let the Lord be the one who makes you happy. Joy is a desire turned not to itself, but to its object. What brought Paul joy? That's a kind of a trick question. Who brought Paul joy? Jesus Christ. He met him on the road to Damascus. Paul was as wrong as a religious guy could be. And yet Christ met him and he confronted him and he converted him and he called him to service. And Paul was always aware of the fact that I'm the worst sinner there is. I was the most self-righteous, ignorant, arrogant prideful guy that there's ever been. And yet Christ is pleased to use me. And I will never, ever get over the fact that he put his love on me and called me. And he talks about Jesus in chapter two, where he says, Jesus was in the form of God. Jesus Christ lived in infinite bliss, infinite bliss with the father and the spirit. And yet he was willing, the text tells us, to empty himself, becoming the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men. Margaret Clarkson's great hymn, vastness confined in the womb of a maid. C.S. Lewis says, you want to know what it was like for the eternal Son of God to become human? Picture yourself becoming a slug or a crab. It was a greater condescension than that. And he didn't come to the best and the brightest and the smartest. 
He came to seek and save the sick and the lost. And he was constantly crossing barriers to reach rejected people. The eternal, infinite Son of God searching for the likes of you and me. And Paul never recovered from that love and from that grace, and he responded to it. Union with Christ. You could boil all of Paul's theology down to two words in Greek, in Christos, in Christ, in relationship with Jesus Christ. That was the core of his teaching. God in Christ is the only infinite, unchanging object. He alone can fill the infinite abyss. You know what Augustine said, thou hast made us for thyself, O God. And our hearts are restless until we rest in Thee. It's a critical component of joy. Nurturing, investing in, spending intentional time to develop and maintain a personal relationship to a God who has revealed Himself to us in Jesus Christ. Particularly by personal spiritual practices. If we were to put a thermometer on your own passion for Jesus Christ this morning, if we were to assess the intimacy and the the intentionality of your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, what would it look like? Joy comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And let's not be deceived here. This relationship is a gift of God's grace. It's not a reward for being good, for working hard, for being sincere or smart. We don't achieve this by effort. We accept it by faith. God comes to us. It's his great gift. It is not our doing. To rejoice in the Lord is to rejoice in a person. You know what it's like to rejoice in a person. I was at West End Diner one day with a guy from here, and a lady came up to him and said, are you Dr. So-and-so? He wasn't. She thought he was. And she said, I just wanted to come over and thank you again for saving my husband's life. It's like right out of the blue. Mistook the, you know, she almost like hugged and kissed the guy. But she, she took great joy in this person. When, I, when we first came here, a guy, an elder right now, leans over at Mellow Mushroom and said, You know, if Jimmy Young asked me to lie down in the interstate, I'd do it. It took great delight in his pastor. Maybe there was somebody in your own life, Sunday school teacher, youth worker, friend, mentor, who who loved you and proclaimed Christ to you, and and you take delight. People have invested in me, and I, I remember leaving one interaction going, I can't believe that guy drove all the way to meet me here and give me a book and say some nice things to me. It, it, it was a beautiful gift. Christ is the only infinite and unchanging source of joy. Well, that leads us to, the, to our third component this morning. Our first component is to rejoice, that joy is a reality and a reaction and a requirement. And we're to rejoice not just in any old thing, not just in the stuff that we come up with that we think will satisfy, but rejoice in the Lord. And now notice the third thing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. When should we rejoice in the Lord? 
Always. Even when times are good? Always. Because when times are good, if we rejoice in the Lord, it makes us humble. It makes us grateful. It keeps these idol-making, prone-to-wander hearts on track with God. And we pursue Him instead of wandering off and away. We can have joy in the, in the, in the abyss regardless of circumstances, regardless of feelings, regardless of how well or how poorly some of our most significant relationships are going. Again, Paul was in prison. He'd been beaten. He was singing praises to God when the jailhouse rocked and the jailer was getting ready to off himself and said, what must I do to be saved? And the thing that made him go to Paul was that he was singing praises with a back that had been ripped open. And Paul was in prison when he was writing to them to rejoice. He had no freedom. He had no privacy. The Philippians, anxious, depressed, troubled, needy, and yet joy and peace and contentment in spite of difficult circumstances. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. In all our affliction, I am overwhelmed with joy. How can he say that? Because he made a commitment. He knew his Savior, and he rejoiced in that Savior all the time. Rejoicing in the Lord should be a regular routine for you. Is it? Do you pursue God? Do you spend time with Him? Do you seek Him? Do you sit down in a quiet place at a quiet time with His Word? And not just to read the Bible because Christians are supposed to read the Bible, but because God speaks. He shares His heart. He shares His will. He shares His kingdom with you when you read His Word. He brings tidings of comfort and joy. Do you neglect His Word? Do you neglect that time with Him? It should be a regular routine. We should rejoice in the Lord when things are bad. And I know a lot of you are experiencing extremely difficult times. And when you're free-falling in that abyss, if you resolve to rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of the furnace of pain and suffering, He brings strength and comfort to carry on. And all of a sudden, you become like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and say, you can throw us in the fire if you want, but we're not going to worship your gods. And some of you need that comfort. C.S. Lewis famously said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. And we all wish that he would just whisper. You may not know what God is doing, but you can know that he knows what he's doing. You may not like what you think God is doing, but you can trust the fact that God is with you and that he is good. Pain in the heart can create doubt in the mind. But doubts about the Father are silenced in the Son. When Jesus is all you have, you will then realize that Jesus is all you need. So the implication is, friends, to depend on Christ and not your feelings and not your relationships 
and not your circumstances for your ultimate joy. So how about for us here this morning? What does rejoicing in the Lord look like? Well, you could look to chapter 1 of Philippians where Paul talks about his own relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to know what rejoicing in the Lord looks like, you can look at Paul because he was a guy who rejoiced in the Lord. And in chapter 1, I'm not making this up. You can look at it for yourself. I think it's about verse 20 or 21. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is a miserable, awful, meaningless tragedy. No, that's not what he said. For me to live is Christ and to die, Paul said, was gain. He said, I, depart, I desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is better by far than living this life. And in chapter 3, Paul says, of all the people who have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, human achievement, uh, human status, I can beat anybody at that game, Paul says. But he says, I count it all as loss. He's, he really uses a very kind of emotionally potent word, trash. Uh, he says, I count it all as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count it as gain that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. So you can just kind of go to Philippians and say, okay, I want to learn how to rejoice in the Lord a little bit like the apostle Paul did. Now, I don't probably have to tell you this, uh, but you're going to fail at doing this. There's nobody in here that can rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice and do it perfectly and consistently because I'm telling you, something's going to come into your experience or your life that's going to try to steal that joy away. You're going to get grinched and bewitched and Scrooge, and it may be on Christmas morning, right in the middle of all the people that you love. The battleship goes down. Something always is going to try to steal or replace or corrupt your joy in God. Circumstances, feelings, how you look, your relationship status, how well your kids are doing or not doing, your physical or financial health are always going to try to steal your joy especially if you don't know God or don't care to know God because you're mad at him or think he doesn't like you because of all the bad things you've done. It's hard to rejoice in the Lord always. That's why we have a savior. That's why we look to Jesus Christ. He rejoiced in his father always. I wish this cup would pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So fix your eyes on Jesus Christ and rejoice in him. You know, it's kind of hard to rejoice in somebody you don't know. It's kind of hard to rejoice in somebody you don't care about. Do you remember the World Series? Do you remember the last game of the World Series? Do you remember the pitcher on the winning team? I don't know a lot about baseball, <coughs> but they were rejoicing in that guy. 
Young pitcher, he just got better and better and better. Tweets were going out. The announcer was talking about it. Whoever this pitcher was, I can't even remember his name right now. It's kind of hard to rejoice in somebody you don't know or care a whole lot about. But they were doing it. It's kind of hard to get excited about Jesus Christ if you do not know him. So three things here before we leave. First of all, if you want to grow in this, if you're suffering if you're, the floor's falling out from under you and you feel like you're free-falling and the whole mountain's falling down on you, or if you know you're really indifferent to the fact that God sent His Son to die for you and you're so busy filling that infinite abyss with all this temporary substitute for the only infinite, immutable object, which is to say God Himself, And I think, friends, there's a bunch of people in here who, quite frankly, are just preoccupied. They're just too busy. I just don't really care. And so I don't have any great sense of passion for that. So number one, start where we are. We're here. You're here this morning. Life together. Come back tonight. Come Wednesday night. I don't know about this Wednesday night, but some Wednesday night. Join a Sunday school class. Get involved in a grace group. Go to man cake. Just show up and enter in. You don't have to do it well. You don't have to be an eager beaver for it. You don't have to be, you know, a pew jockey. Just just enter in as much as you can. Do what everybody, just fake it. Just do what everybody else is doing. That's the first thing. Start where we are. The second thing is start where you are. Are you distressed? Are you depressed? Are you distracted or burdened or bereaved? Are you too busy, indifferent, apathetic? Just be honest. I had a phone call with a guy this week, and I commended his, on, his eloquent honesty in, in articulating his struggle to know if God is really good because it doesn't feel like it. Start where you are. That's, that's, that's the only place you can start. And just be honest. God, I'm not good at this. God, I know I don't love you like so-and-so loves you, but I want to try to obey this apostolic command. I I, I realize I'm not doing a very good job filling this infinite hole in my gut or my heart or my mind. Number three, start getting to know God. Listen to him. Speak through his word. It's the primary catalyst for spiritual growth. It is the fuel that will flame your own hunger and thirst for righteousness through Jesus Christ. And, and if you're a total beginner, I've got some things that have helped me. I'd be happy to share them with you. I would point you to the book of Psalms. If, if things are going great, if you're hurting and they're going terribly, I would take you to the book of Psalms because you'll find the whole range of people who are rejoicing in the Lord always, whether good times or bad and in the Gospels to learn about Jesus Christ. Because, friends, it's hard to get excited and delighted in somebody that you do not know. So feeding yourself through this personal spiritual discipline to foster your relational closeness to Jesus Christ is critical if you want to respond. Several years ago, uh, I was in a particularly difficult set of circumstances for me and our family and I drove a long way to Atlanta. I grew up in Atlanta. I was living in uh, Chicago at the time. I drove down to Atlanta, and I went to this gigantic pastor's conference. 
And uh, one of the first nights I was standing beside this really big black football player guy. And at the end of one of these worship sets, we were all standing up. And this guy, I mean, he was like, he was on this, we we're both on the rail here. He's like front row. And he's like, praise you, Jesus. Glory to God. Bless you, Lord. He's just rocking it there. And I'm kind of, you know, thinking, you know, I'm not as big as you are. And I can't yell that loud. And I don't know if I even want to. But I was like, Lord, praise you. I, I felt kind of like a puppy trying to learn how to bark. You know, Lord, help well, later on, I'm walking through the corridor, and the band is playing this song. And the chorus of the song was, is from Philippians, believe it or not. And the chorus was, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. And I'm telling you, that song melted my heart. I mean, it was like just... <laughs> You're, you're it, Lord, for me. You're it. Now, I don't feel that all the time. I forget it, but he's it. Three components for Christmas joy while falling or trying your best to fill your own infinite abyss with anything and everything other than God. Rejoice. Joy is a reality. It's a reaction to being loved. It's a requirement in apostolic order. Rejoice in the Lord. Joy comes from our relationship, feeding on Jesus Christ, the bread of life. We rejoice in the Lord always, regardless of our circumstances, by resolving to nurture our relationship with Jesus Christ through regular routines. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let us pray. Father, I know there are some people here who are ragged and scarred and burdened and hurting. And they may not even believe that joy is available anymore. They're just content in the abyss and have lost all hope. There are others, Lord, who are foolishly going from one thing to another, one lover to another, one success to another, filling this infinite abyss themselves. And our prayer, Lord, for those of us who have ears to hear, is that you would call us afresh and anew to know you, to love you, to delight in you as our highest, deepest, fullest good. Though everything around us fall away, Yet, we will rejoice in you. Thank you, Lord, that you don't quench the smallest flickering candle, that you don't snap the weakest, frailest twig. And those hearts in this room this morning, I ask by your Holy Spirit that you would breathe strength and comfort and joy into them, for Jesus' sake. Amen.